I saw a pizza place down the street. Maybe we could try that. Pizza sounds delicious. Pizza? pizza. Yes, pizza. Right on, that's good. What the heck is that? Who puts broccoli on pizza? That's it. I'm done. Congratulations, San Francisco. You've ruined pizza. First the Hawaiians, and now you. Inside Out is the story of Riley, who has been uprooted from her life in the Midwest when her father started a new job in San Francisco. And like all of us, Riley is guided by her emotions, specifically joy and fear, anger, disgust, and sadness. And her emotions live in headquarters, the control center inside of her mind, where they help advise her through everyday life. And as Riley and her emotions struggle to adjust to a new life in San Francisco, turmoil ensues in headquarters. Although Joy, Riley's main and most important emotion, tries to keep things positive, the emotions conflict on how best to navigate the new city, house and school, and we see what happens. Welcome to Cinema Gadfly. I'm your host, Arik Devins. And joining me to discuss this movie, Inside Out, again, is my friend Maya. Say hello, Maya. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Welcome back. Thanks. <laughs> so glad to have you here for this one. So why did you um, why did you decide to pick this movie for me to watch? This movie hit me super hard when I saw it. And so I wanted to share that with you, who I know really appreciates cinema and film and storytelling. So I wanted to share something with you that I really loved and wanted to see what you thought of it. That's a great reason. So, um, yeah, it is. It It's really great. It's a really, really great film. I've actually had wanted to see it for quite some time, and I don't know, you know, I, I just hadn't gotten around to it yet. I watch a lot of ridiculous, a lot of films, and I just hadn't hadn't seen it yet. But oh man, I'm so glad that you gave me an opportunity to to watch it. It is definitely a great one, and there's a lot of, for my mind, there's a lot of interesting things about this one uh, uh, to talk about and to think about. You know, it was it was there were a lot of big ideas in this film. I thought absolutely. I mean, it it, it follows the development of a young girl and follows her development and how her emotions impact her and her decisions and how she feels about things and her family. And whether, no matter what gender you are, everyone experiences that development and your very simple emotions from when you're a baby, when you're a toddler, when you're a child, and then going through adolescence and your emotions starting to mix and becoming more complex, everyone experiences that. And so because of that, I feel like everyone can relate to this film no matter if it's just like one small part of it or the entire thing, but I think that everyone can see a part of themselves or their children or both in this film. And so because of that, I think that it's completely universal. And so that's why I wanted to talk about it. So I completely agree with with, with all of that. I will add to that, though, that I think it, while I agree that, that it's universal and that anyone could enjoy it, I think it is really important and awesome that it is the coming-of-age story of a a young girl as opposed to a young boy and uh especially a young girl who who plays hockey right and is a little you know and is goofy and isn't like fitting isn't we're not putting her in in uh a lot of like to my mind to my eye a lot of like stereotypical gendered roles in a lot of ways in the film and and she kind of just is doing her thing but it's just like you know you know I don't have kids but if I if and when I do, if I had a young daughter, like it would be so nice to, and this is something Pixar I think does generally pretty well. It would be so nice to have a film like this to show her to say, this is, this is a story that yes, it's, I agree with you. A little boy would rock onto this movie too. And I certainly connected to it strongly as well. But I think, you know, 
to see yourself reflected on the screen to some degree is such an important experience to have. And I think, uh, you know, that would be, that was really, I think that was really great and really huge. Pete Doctor, who is the, one of the directors on this film, the other director, the co-director was Ronnie Del Carmen. Pete Doctor was inspired by his daughter growing up and watching her develop and watching her growing up and how complicated that was for both her and him. And so that inspired the film. Film took five and a half years to make, which is one of the longest productions of any film at Pixar ever. But because of just the really complicated animation styles that they employed for this, and also just the really complex storyline, like they brought in a ton of professional psychiatrists and psychologists to talk to the animators about the brain and how emotions work so that they could apply actual science onto how onto, onto their um, animations. So a lot of the kind of very subtle little themes on how headquarters and long-term storage worked is um, in a very lightweight way, very accurate on how our brains work, on how we treat memory and emotion and, and things like that. So it took them a long time to actually make this. But, uh, but as you were saying, like it was inspired off of true human emotion. I think that that really shows you know, through the film. Like one of the voice actors on the film, M- Mindy Kaling, who played uh, Disgust, she said that she came in, um, they asked her to come in to, to read for the role, and she read the script. And once she started reading it, she just immediately started weeping because she was so inspired and also touched by the film. And she said, I think it's so great that you guys are making a film that shows how difficult it is to grow up and that it's okay to be sad about it because there aren't a lot of films that do that. No, and especially, you know, again, for kids, like if you're a kid like I was, like I think a lot of people were, who is not happy all the time, right, uh, and who has kind of complex feelings about things, it is so great to see, you know, th- through the journey of these characters, because, I mean, for one thing, the casting was inspired. Perfect. Like, there's no other way to put it. Perfect. Perfect. Like, Lewis Black as as anger is, you. there's no better, when I heard his voice, I was like, oh, of So course, when they wrote the role... And when they were showing the script to John Lasseter, he said, oh, my God, and you know who we could get to play Anger? Lewis Black. And then they did. Yeah. It's just, it's perfect. But e- equally as perfect are the, are the sort of two main kind of uh, brain characters here. Joy with Amy Poehler is, I mean, you know, it's Parks and Rec. Like, could you pick a better person to just be over the top, energetic, and happy all the time? And secondly, for sadness, Phyllis from The Office. Phyllis Smith. Yeah, Phyllis Smith, one of the writers and, and comedians on The Office, is is perfect as well, right? She's she's got that honest, perfect blend of like the way her voice sounds and the way she acts and everything. It's just so so perfect. And as and so to tying that into what you were saying, like the the message of the film to me, you know, the idea that sadness means well, that sadness is an important part of life and happiness, and that you can't be happy without sadness. It's it's certainly not a new idea, but it's so well presented here, and you don't have to. And also anger, and also fear, and also disgust, and many more things as well. But it's so perfectly dramatized by the idea that okay, joy is controlling this 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 little you know person, and then as her life gets more complicated, and as she gets a little older, and as hormones come in, and all these other things, like that's not enough, and that's okay. And you don't have to always be like the movie does not make her out to be a bad like she you know she yeah her and her parents get into it because she's being extremely disrespectful but they the movie's message is definitely not you know be happy like 
chin up and and just be you know you're a bad person if you're not happy it's like wow this is this is really complicated this is real this is complex and that's okay yeah it shows us that it's okay to be sad and then as we get older and we start experiencing more things we discover that all of our experiences are a mix of multiple emotions and then you don't just have to be happy or just sad at any specific time you can be multiple emotions but that's not something that we're taught unless our parents explicitly tell us that. But in those early, really challenging years, you know, when you're 10, 11, 12, 13, and you're just trying to figure things out and no one's told you that it's okay to be happy and sad at the same time, when you're experiencing those complex and combined emotions, it can be really challenging and really, really scary. And so having a movie, like a Pixar movie, that's so approachable that can teach kids in a very fun and colorful way that that's okay. I hope this movie sticks around for years and years to come and shows little kids that this is going to happen and that it's okay. Because I definitely didn't have anything like this when I was growing up, and I so wish that I did. Well, so on that on that note, you and I both grew up, at least for some significant portion of our lives, in the Seattle area. Um, do I don't know the answer to this question. Are you were you like born and raised like do you, were you in like the same house in Seattle your whole life? Like, what's your story with regards to that? Yeah, so I was I was born and raised in Seattle. I was there until I was eighteen, and then I went away to college. And like any Seattleite, they can tell you that it's dark and grim and dreary for nine months out of the year. Summers are beautiful, but for nine months out of the year, it's, it's, it's tough. You don't, you don't see the sun. And like probably lots of other little kids in, in Seattle, I was pretty sad growing up. And I didn't know why. And when you're a kid and you're sad and you don't understand why, that can be really difficult to deal with. It can make you even more sad. So... When I was 14, I was finally diagnosed with, with dysthymia, which is a form of chronic depression. And it was one of the best days of my life because my psychiatrist passed me, I think it was the DSM probably four at the time. I think now we're on like DSM six or something. Um, but it was a DSM four with an explanation of my, what, what I had. And I could read in a book exactly what I was feeling. And it was like a list. It was like, you're feeling this, 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 and this. And, you, and when you read what's going on in your head in a book, you're like, oh my God, it was the most liberating feeling. Like, I'm not completely crazy or a weirdo. Like, other people feel this thing too. This is the best. And, and, I, and I feel like going back, to, going back to the film, this kind of shows you that, that, it, that, it's, that it's okay. Like, if, you know, if some kid sees this, sees this movie and they're like, I'm kind of sad sometimes and I don't know why. And you watch this film and it's like, you know what? That's okay. This girl feels some sad, feels sad sometimes and lots of other kids feel sad sometimes and it's totally okay. Like it's, it's just, it's totally liberating and it shows you that, you know, you're not alone and that you don't have to, you don't have to understand your emotions in order to feel them. And they showed that as well with the, um, at the end when they show what's in other people's heads and, you know, the, the cool kids' heads who are also, you know, freaking out about various things. So I, um, so I, you know, like I said, I'm also from Seattle, but I moved around a lot as a kid. I was really interested to hear what you had to say because I think that makes so much sense. Like I could definitely relate strongly to this story also on that level of like having had my dad's job move us around a bunch and like having had to go into that first day of school and having had to make those friends and all that that kind of stuff. Um, but it's nice to know that even if that's not the case, like that, there's a whole other like layer to that. I think that in almost every way, the movie, it's a very specific story but done in a way that it doesn't remove anyone else from being a part of it, which I think like, you know, we didn't, we're not all from Minnesota. We didn't all play hockey. We're not all, we're not all women. We're not all anything, you know, uh, that the, these people represent, 
but they did it all in such a way where the they focused really on the kind of like the the universal themes and so it's whether or not you hear a gum commercial in your head all the time or whether or not you just don't understand like you said you know what's going on with your own particular uh chemical balance and like or if you're affected and i certainly was also affected by seasonal uh, uh affective disorder in seattle um and 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 the winters and trying to explain that to people who don't who aren't from or don't live in seattle is a little difficult and why you would still want to move back there or why you love it even in, in spite of all that but and and then it's you know it takes place in san francisco and there's some amount of san francisco stereotypes but none of that really matters it's like the core of it i think is very universal no matter if you're no matter what your gender no matter how old you are no matter where you're from everybody shares some of the experiences that riley felt in these in, in, in the film and just like you were saying with san francisco like I love how San Francisco the film was. Like, we're getting so many great San Francisco animated films, like with Big Hero 6 and San, San, Fran, San, Fran San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah. We don't need to know how to say it. It just looks great on a, on a sign. It does. Oh, I mean, this was very over-the-top, ridiculous. You know, oh, we only serve one kind of broccoli pizza here. It was a little, you know, it was funny because it was stereotypical, but it was done with love. I mean, you know, Pixar's in Emeryville. Like, they know. And, like, it was... And that pizza place was inspired off of a pizza place in Emeryville that only serves one type of pizza a day. And you show oh, really? up and they serve whatever type of pizza they want if and you want it. it. Yeah, and that's it. You, you know, no, <laughs> no special orders. We're going to serve you broccoli pizza. And if you don't want it, then leave. And like her, her high school was inspired off of James Lick High School in, in Noe Valley. And like her house was a house in San Francisco that they went and drew and animated. I and feel like that was either in North Beach or Chinatown. It felt like right, very like, much it's, like it's just that. Yeah. It's so it's so San Francisco. So that that especially just made it even more special for me. Oh, totally. No, no, it was it was. I had forgotten. You know, I at one point I knew that it was in San Francisco, but I'd forgotten that. So when I, uh, my girlfriend and I sat down to watch the film, and that showed up, I was like, Oh yeah, oh that's so cool. You know, which obviously that's you know you and I experience. Like you know, not everyone watching everywhere would experience that, but it was. It was very real, and I mean, the I could totally tell why it took five and a half years because the animation was incredible and so different. Like, there's two completely different universes of animation going on here, where like the people look the best I've ever seen in an animated film, like really incredible, and then the people in the head are you know completely crazy and different, and there's all that going on as well. I mean, this is a big movie in just in general. You know, it's got a lot. There's a lot going on in the movie too. It's it's a pretty huge undertaking i would think so the texture of the emotion which which you're talking about how it was so vastly different from the texture of the skin of humans yes so the texture of the emotion was that kind of like bubbly electric kind of slightly fuzzy texture was originally just supposed to be for joy and so the animators were were working on that texture and it was so hard because just like with all Pixar movies, they're reinventing or they're, they're inventing new styles of animation and new tools to show, you know, what, what they want to show. So they're working on the style. It's incredibly challenging. They've been working on it for like eight months. And finally, they're like, you know what? We're not going to do this. It's too expensive. It's too challenging. John Lasseter sees it and he goes, hey, that looks great. Put it on all the emotions. <laughs> And Ralph Eggleston, who is one of the lead animators, was like, you could just hear all of the animators just like falling onto the floor, you know, and the budget just like going through the roof. And everyone was like, there's no fucking way this movie's ever going to come out. And of course, Pixar magic, they made it work. It looked beautiful. But apparently that that discrepancy, which you noticed, which I think was so distinct, was just a huge undertaking to actually realize. 
Yeah, I'm just remembering now that I actually so I have a friend whose whose boyfriend is an animator at Pixar, and actually I do remember running into him sort of during that period, and and I you know there were no specifics because he's not going to say anything, right? But just the his just resignation to the you know he was very into it and very happy to be working on it, but just the amount of work. Now I realize this was probably the film that he was alluding to with no details, but just like, oh man, we're really up against it. We're trying something really challenging. This is crazy. Like the deadlines are insane. I never see blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, those, those people work really, really, really hard. And it's the same with any other movie. Like just like with this different treatment of the matter in which the emotions were going to be created, which Pete Doctor said was instead of skin, they wanted it to look like it was a massive collection of energy. Like it wasn't something that was solid. It was just a collection of energy and that was what the emotions were. But like then going back to Brave, like with Meredith's hair, when she went underwater, like they'd never animated hair underwater before in a really real way. I mean, they had with the Incredibles and they did it with Violet, but she had straight hair and that was easier to animate. And then with Meredith with her curly hair, like how do you even do that going into the water and out of the water? And I mean, they're, they're, the magicians at Pixar are constantly coming up with new animation styles. And I feel like with every movie, they're like, this isn't going to work. And then somehow they just make it work and it looks amazing. But the, with this one, we got a five-year, you know, production schedule which is a lot but they made it work so that's that kind of leads me to an interesting question that i wanted to ask you when you suggested this film i don't have an answer to this question i just am curious what you think was this film a risk i think it was a huge risk i know that there are other i believe television programs that were 30 years old and i'm i'm sorry i don't know the names of them but this type of story arc has been done before where you see little people in somebody's head controlling their emotions and controlling their actions. So that had been done before. But I think that it was a huge risk for them because it was it was completely outside of the typical kind of story arc that, that they normally do, or at least that, that that I perceive them to normally do in in their in their productions. Um, it also took a really long time to make. Like the the voice actor that they cast for Riley she was 11 when they cast her and she went through puberty during the production of the film and she had to modulate her voice in order to still sound like a 10-year-old or an 11-year-old, you know, while while they were towards the end of production. Like this is a really, uh, I think that the budget was like 175 million or something and I think they grossed like 800 million um, at, at least or t- to date on this. So, I mean, it definitely worked, but I mean, five years, $175 million, like it's a huge risk. I feel like any production is a huge risk because you just, when you put it out, like you don't know what's going on in the world. You don't know if people are going to perceive it the way that you thought that they might have when you pitched the film originally five years ago. I feel like there's so many different political and economical and social elements that could play into the perception of this film or all films that could make it totally flop. But I don't think that any of their films are safe with the exception of sequels, because you know that the characters are tried and true, people like it, so we're going to make more, we're going to keep the plot line going. But when you introduce an entirely new world and an entirely new set of characters, I mean, who knows if people are, are going to like it? So I, I don't think that, that the new films they've been putting out are safe at all. I, I wouldn't agree with that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that, you know, there's a lot of areas here that are kind of interesting. I mean, they, you know, they go for the, the the San Francisco startup thing, which I think in this community that we live in is is safe, but outside of here is like I don't think that the perception is particularly kind in a lot of ways. I think that that's sort of an interesting risk. I think San Francisco in general is an interesting risk. I think that did you see that Riley's dad's company's name was Brang? 
Brang? B-R-A-N-G. It's it's on a bus advertisement and on one of the t-shirts that he's wearing. And at Pixar, they were like, what, what would a tech company in Silicon Valley be called? I don't know. Brang? That sounds good. <laughs> Print it. <laughs> so it was so San Francisco. That's wonderful. Yeah. and But, you know, and I mean, there are universal things here, but I, I do think I would agree with with what you said like i think it's it's definitely more of a risk certainly than like a you know cars too but i also think it's more of a risk than cars like because you're tapping into something realer than that and you're talking about sadness like you know they do hero's journey a lot and that's great and everything like that but like to to and there's a sadness in you know children growing up and giving their toys away or whatever but and those are all phenomenal movies but you know, that's sort of a Winnie the Pooh level sadness, like to do something more to to do that psychological, you know, examination of sort of to have a kid run away at 11 on like a grimy bus, where I was like, really worried, like you were worried when we were watching all that heaven allows that that Carrie was going into the mill, I was really worried that an 11 year old was getting on a bus in some fictional bus depot in San Francisco. I was like, Oh, God, like that's not safe at all. Like what's gonna happen to her? Yeah, that's incredibly scary. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I think, and I would imagine, I don't know this for a fact, but I would imagine the parents watching the movie would be like, oh God, like really that's an intense, I think, emotion for them. Originally, when they were talking about the original storyline, I think Pete and Ronnie pitched an idea where Riley was going to get, um, like she was going to be climbing a tree and, f- and fall. I'm paraphrasing this. I don't know the exact details, but she was, but she got hit in the head somehow and was knocked out unconscious and then that's when we meet all of her emotions and and they're trying to piece her memory back together Mm. and then bill Hader, who was coming in to read for fear and also actually contributed a lot of the dialogue to the film him and amy puller have writing credits on the film as well but bill Hader said as a dad i wouldn't be able to watch a movie where a daughter gets knocked out that would just be way too terrifying for me so they changed the plot line obviously but just like you're saying like there's a lot of scary elements in in the film where you're watching it and as a parent or as a kid like man if you got on a bus when you were 11 in san francisco yikes yeah i i mean i grew up in mercer island washington (laughs) the safest (laughs) island in the entire world yeah basically (laughs) and and when i went to and when i switched to going to school in the city in the central district which in the mid 90s was not the most safe place in the world in seattle it was a big change Right. It was like and I was riding buses by myself and I and the first day I was almost uh, like I was I had to make a connection between buses and I didn't know where to go. And some guy I'd asked on the bus, like, who knows where this thing is? And it was obvious when I got off. But this guy at the entrance to a dark alley was like, no, kid, come over here and like gestured. And if I had been if I just run over. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? Like, so that was in my head watching it. I don't know. Terrifying. Terrifying. So what um, did you cry at all when you were watching the film? I am not a good person to ask that. I don't cry ever. But I did feel things. I felt I felt the feels. When did you feel the feels? In multiple, you know, as her islands crumbled, you know, you know, actually, as her memory, I think the thing that got me the most was as her memories would turn to dust, because I've realized recently that I have a very poor personal memory. Like I have a phenomenally good. Anyone who knows me knows I remember the every stupid, trivial, nonsense detail in the world. I could tell you every year everything was made and every person who was in every movie and every blah 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 nonsense. But I don't remember most of my life, like at all. And I've realized this in the last year, and it terrifies me. And so to see, for me, to see like her memories 
vanishing forever, you know, or, or her imaginary friend gone forever. Or, but even like the little memories, just like all those balls being like, oh, well, we don't need this anymore. This can go, you know, it was just like, no, I don't. But I want, oh, I want, no, that was really hard for me. Did you, um, what did, did you have a bing bong when you were growing up? Well, I don't think so. But then again, how would I know? You know, like that's because sort of you like you don't the, remember anything because I don't remember anything. And also because she's not going to remember unless Joy keeps her reminding her, you know, but I know I definitely had like a, I don't know. I'd have to ask my parents if I had a, a specifically an imaginary friend. I definitely had a lot of dolls and toys and stuff that that had pretty strong, you know, not like, you know, not like outside of me, like psychotic, but, you know, had some like good times with, you know, some some personalities of their own. Yeah. How about you? Did you have an imaginary friend? I don't think so. I definitely remember thinking that I could fly for sure. Like I have very distinct memories of me flying up my driveway. Did you ever attempt this? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, and did you fall? And I just know. Head? I just know that it <laughs> happened. So I think I have some very, very vivid dreams of me just okay. like flying up the driveway. But you know, when you wake up and you have that kind of like full body memory where you're like oh i I, like my body remembers me the flying oh sure when you wake up from a dream and you're so sure that it it really happened Happened you know i have to say by the way that the dream theater like the dream studio where it was like a like an old-timey film studio like my i love i mean you know obviously i'm a something of a film fanatic and i loved that like reality distortion filter the reality distortion filter, the posters of all of, of Riley starring in all of the movies about Riley. Like, oh my God, I was in heaven. If they had made one, like, and maybe I just missed it, but if they had made like one Alfred Hitchcock joke or something, I would have probably lost my shit. Like, I was I was so happy with that. It was, um, they did make one Chinatown joke. They did. I Oh, I know they did. Okay, and, good. Oh my God. And then there was, was a waiting for Godot joke. Oh God. I was so happy. There were yeah. th- there were some this you know the other thing that this movie did really well was the, that sort of like uh, you know uh, asterisk Tintin like we have something for adults here too like you can you could watch so this movie much. when you're 11 and then watch it again when you're 20 and be like oh my goodness I didn't even catch any of that and then beyond that like just just like the funny Easter eggs for adults is all the Easter eggs for you know the Pixar team like Pixar and they've said this before they're just making movies for themselves. But there's so many Easter eggs and inside jokes for them, like them continuing continuing to hide little pieces of other Pixar movies in all of their movies and, you know, just continuing themes and little styling here and there. And I just I just think that's so much fun. Like I love a I love a film or animation company that can have fun with what they're doing, because if you don't, then like what's the point? And clearly they're having a lot of fun with it and hiding little things for them and themselves and their family and their team and all of us fans who love to see those little things pop in and out of the movies. Speaking of little things, this is might just be my interpretation of watching the film, but I wanted to kind of know what you thought. Did you notice that when we went into her dad's head and her mom's head, that her dad apparently is run by anger and her mom is apparently run by sadness? Yes. So Pete Doctor said that because those shots were so quick they just wanted to show who was at the helm and they didn't feel like it was important to show all of the emotions and like honestly I feel like had they shown all of the emotions versus just one emotion duplicated five times it would have had the same effect and like for the sake of the animators like that's fine like if if you notice the the mom's headquarters is the exact same as Riley's headquarters they just added some orange uh curtains 
so that it would look more like a, uh, a talk show, just to save the animators from having to create an entirely new set. Oh, no, no, sure. But I don't even, I, I really think, it, so it, yes, you're right. But I also felt like those were the, like, do you think that it, do you think it was intended to say that the, that the, that those were the emotions running the console at that moment or that those were their, their, like, is the movie saying, is everyone guided by joy? Is everyone guided by a particular emotion? Is everyone guided by all emotions? Is it different per person? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, what was the, what do you think the message was? I think that's a really interesting question and a really good point. And I think that you could say like, yeah, like maybe dads are run by anger and moms are run by sadness, but like that's also really sad. Or or this dad, right? It doesn't have to be all dads. Okay, so this dad is run by anger and that mom is run by sadness. Sure, I feel like that's that's applicable applicable based on what we saw in in the film. Yeah, interesting, right? It was just like an extra thing. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Cuz I cuz well because I, you know, when that happened, I I turned to to my girlfriend and I said, "Well, you know, which one am I run by? And she was like, sadness for sure. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> oh, God. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, oh, uh oh. You know, but yeah. Cool. Well, was there anything else on this one that you, you wanted to make sure you talked about? I don't know. Was there anything that surprised you or that really stuck out for you? Oh, I mean, there were just a, a tons of great, you know, moments. For sure. I mean, you know, when I first saw, like I said, I didn't know, I tried to know no, very little coming in. So all the casting was like, oh, that's so great. You know, um, <laughs> the quote from Sadness, crying helps me slow down and obsess over the weight of life's problems. I, I mean, crying, Sadness had some real one-liners. Remember the funny movie where the dog died? Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I think is a nod to just like such a stereotypical movie element where it's like, well, we want the audience to feel sadness. Mm, we'll kill the dog. Done. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love when uh, when her boyfriend lives in Canada, you know? Yes. <laughs> and I asked, I asked Derek, my girlfriend's from Germany, I asked her if they, they have a thing like that in Germany. And she's like, I don't think so. I guess maybe just another school. But I'm like, yeah, well, Canada, summer camp, another school, you know, wherever, whatever, you know. Um, the... When the train of thought was literally derailed, which they didn't really comment on, but was that was great, you know. But yeah, no, just uh, so many moments like that, little things. I, w- I want to watch it again to, to pick up on all those things. So many detail, so much complex detail. But again, similar to All That Heaven Allows, it's kind of like it shows this beautiful look into one family's life and the everyday trials and tribulations and emotions that they experience and that we all experience as well and that we can apply our own experiences onto their experiences and kind of looking at the beauty and the intricacy of their experiences and just allowing ourselves to watch that human interaction instead of focusing on like a giant explosion because of robots you know or something like that and I feel like that's kind of beautiful and I think this film just came out at a really perfect time for us to see this and i hope that it lasts and i'm really glad that you enjoyed it it's really nice to see a mainstream movie that is not fueled by explosions basically anytime but is also not fueled by any of the other like there's a million this was just a really i don't think there's another movie out there like it right now or even in the recent memory and that always makes me really happy you know one of the things i've gotten from watching all these old movies is a realization of how much we've lost in terms of movies being made for specific audiences or reasons that are not necessarily the obvious ones now. Like we, I think there just used to be a lot more, there are a lot of types of movies that it seems like can't be made anymore. And partially that's because of the nature of the big business of it. And there isn't like a strong 
you know, even the indie films these days are pretty big budget and that, that kind of thing. But, you know, if you go back in time and they were making movies for all kinds of audiences and reasons and, and different vibes and things like that. And I, I think we've lost a little bit of that. So it's really nice to see something that uh, honestly, I feel like is very different from the stuff we are normally watching. You know, it isn't a, as much as I love, you know, superhero movies or action movies or whatever isn't, isn't one of those is, is really nice. It's nice to have space for a more human movie among all of the explosion robot superhero movies. Exactly. And I know that, or I think that neither of us are parents. Yeah, that you go think correctly. Yeah. Um, but I can't imagine watching the movie as a parent and be, and having that kind of dual layer to approach onto your viewing of the film and applying your experiences, like viewing the, the movie through your experiences and what it was like as a kid, but then also viewing the movie through your child's experiences as well. Like that just seems completely overwhelming. Yeah, no, there's a there. I've heard this from so many uh, parents that your entire media consumption just changes when you have kids because everything you watch is, is through that different lens as well. And I think I, I think about that a lot when I watch stuff like, oh, man, I, I can't wait to watch this again. And, you know, 10, 15 years if I have kids and, you know, they're doing their thing and like, what's that going to, you know, what's that going to feel like and all that kind of stuff? Definitely, definitely. Because when you're a kid, you're so caught up in your own emotions, you know, and your, and your own experiences. But it wasn't and this is terrible, but it honestly wasn't until looking at this movie that I thought about like, wow, you know, it was really tough for me when I was a depressed kid, but what was it like for my parents when I was a depressed kid? Because I wasn't uh, thinking about them at all, you know, <laughs> yeah. at all. That, that yeah. wasn't something that I was focusing on, but how difficult and challenging must it have been to be dealing with the, you know, insane complexities of just being a human adult but then also having to deal with a depressed and complex child as well layered on top of that yeah you could say the same thing i mean i was also a pretty complex child as you might imagine but also like the moving i hadn't thought about that either like moving was very hard for me what, what was it like for you know for them to have to do that all the time as well yeah what was it like for them and then what was it like dealing with you during right, that for period them also with me yeah, yes yeah, exactly. it's both it's double <sighs> That's, that is some deep business I'm going to, you know, uh, we're recording this the, the day before Thanksgiving. I'm going to bring this up tomorrow. I'm going to ask. You're going to have a very tear-filled Thanksgiving table. Oh, you think they're all like hugging and, you know, like the, you think it will be like emotionally? Or you your family will just brush it off. Yeah, probably. <laughs> we'll see. I'll get back to you on that. So, um, great. Well, uh, you know, I just want to say thank you again so much for for coming on and doing this with me. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. It was so great, uh, and uh, I, I learned last time my lesson. I will not give you an opportunity to uh, to direct anyone your way, um, unless you want one. Do you want one? Yes, please. Okay, where 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 would you like people to contact you? Oh 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 oh, sorry. I thought, I thought you meant movie recommendations. I was like, please tell me more Criterion Collection movies to watch. Oh, I totally will. No, I totally will. But I already know how to get in, in contact with you. Oh no, that's fine. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. You can uh, follow along with the podcast and my blog and stuff at, at CinemaGadfly on Twitter or at CinemaGadfly.com. And if you want to review us or whatever you do with iTunes, that's cool, too. I can't stop you. It would be awesome. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> that's Maya's advice in general. Um, and uh, I will be back with, uh, with someone else uh, next time. Um, and I hope everyone has a, uh, a wonderful day. All right. Bye. 
Here we go. All right, open. Hmm, this looks new. Think it's safe? What is it? Uh... Okay, caution. There is a dangerous smell, people. Hold on, what is that? This is disgust. She basically keeps Riley from being poisoned, physically and socially. That is not brightly colored or shaped like a dinosaur. Hold on, guys. It's broccoli! <laughs> yes! Well, I just saved our lives. Mm. Yeah, you're welcome.